of the Lord's blessing upon the ministry of this word in Louisville. We pray again for Pastor Sam and um, for Benjamin as they're traveling to South Carolina right now. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of worship tonight. We thank you for the truth of the words that we have sung in all of these pieces of music. How glorious is your salvation toward us. We want to uh, pause and ask that you will bless the preaching of your word tonight in Louisville. We ask that as Dr. Vickers, the professor from Southern who has such a heart for India, ministers to the people there, helping them to see the the overarching theme of redemption in your word, that you will bless that, that you will help those dear souls see Christ and see him as beautiful and see him as the one person that they must know. We pray that you will keep doing your work of salvation there. We ask that you would bless our pastor as he travels tonight. As he and Benjamin take turns driving, please keep them safe. Direct them all the way to Greenville. And we pray that tomorrow he will be an encouragement not only to his wife but to others. Once again, as we did this morning, we thank you for the life of Charles Hustetler and for his faithfulness and for all of the things you did through this instrumentality. We pray that tomorrow you will be glorified in his funeral. Now bless us as we give our attention to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. It's my privilege this evening to bring this uh, communion devotional. It's as Pastor Rich said, designed to help us think about the things that will help us feel the way we ought to feel when we remember our Savior and His death. So we direct our minds to the Word, hoping that by God's blessing our hearts will be deeply stirred. Before I read the four verses that I have in mind, I want to tell you what I'm up to tonight in this brief time of devotion. I want to encourage you. And I want to encourage you by reminding you about something concerning yourself. I know that the Lord's Supper is designed to remind us of Him. Isn't that what He said? Do this in remembrance of Me. But we can't think about the Lord Jesus Christ without thinking about what He did, and we can't think about what He did without thinking about what that means for us. And so I'm going all the way to the benefit of what he did for us tonight in encouraging you. And this is what I want to remind you of. I want to remind those of you who are truly Christians of something about yourself. And what is it about yourself that I want you to think of and be reminded of? It is simply this. 
that you have already been perfected for all time. I want to say that again. You have already been perfected for all time. Now some of you are thinking, oh, how can that be? I've sinned already today. Sin still remains in me. The Apostle John said, if we say we have no sin, we lie and speak not the truth. I have remaining sin. I am far from perfect. Not talking about that kind of perfection. But I'm going to reiterate, according to God's Word, those of us who are truly Christians, that is to say, those of us who by His grace have seen our sinfulness and felt deep sorrow for it and wanted deliverance from it and turned from it to the Lord Jesus Christ to cast ourselves upon Him, to give Him our sins so that He might give us His righteousness and to follow Him the rest of our days. Those of us who are truly Christian by that definition, according to God's Word, have already been perfected for all time. That is, for eternity itself. Now let me quickly read the portion of Scripture which will help us see that tonight. We're in Hebrews 10. Notice with me verses 11 through 14. And every priest, thinking of the priests of the Old Testament who were still practicing and performing their ceremonies, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But, contrast, this is one of those glorious buts of the New Testament. But, when Christ Literally, when this one, the word Christ is not in the text, but when this one, and this one is Christ, because he just referred to him in verse 10, speaking of his death, but when this one had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. For, this is why He can sit and wait, the victory is absolutely certain. For, by a single offering, and here comes the words of my assertion, he has, not he will, not he's going to try to, he has perfected, doesn't say he is perfecting, doesn't say he's going to perfect, he has perfected for all time those 
who are being sanctified. And so, I assert for your encouragement tonight, if you are truly a Christian, if you are truly trusting in the Lord Jesus, you have already been perfected for all time. Now, the question is, what is this perfection? Well, I've already indicated that it isn't obviously the removal of the potential of sin in our lives because, if we're honest, we sin today. It isn't moral conformity to the image of Christ. We await that. It isn't the ability to live without sin. We look forward to that. What it is, is the complete and perfect forgiveness of all of our sins, which produces a right standing with God. It isn't not having any sin in our lives. It's not having any sins in our lives for which we will give an account in the day of judgment. That's what it is. It is God looking upon us in His Son and saying, that person's sins have been paid for. That person has a right standing with me. That person's sins shall never result in their damnation. To use the language of the psalmist, and if you would just turn very quickly to this familiar psalm, Psalm 32, this is another way of answering what this perfection is about. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed, privileged, happy is the one, the person, the man, the woman, the boy, the girl, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. It isn't blessed is the man in whose heart and in whose life the Lord sees no sin. No, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And of course, that is true for everyone who is looking to the Lord Jesus Christ alone, who has given their sins to Him and has received His righteousness. So this perfection is the standing that we have with God. It is God saying, I am satisfied with that person's righteousness because it is the righteousness of my Son. And it is a present reality for all who are trusting in Christ. So I just want to underscore that this is something that you already have if you're a true Christian. Again, I think we would be fearful to say this if the Scriptures didn't put it like that. But look at the latter part of verse 14 once more. It says, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We're going to talk in just a second about what it means to be among those who are being sanctified. But one thing is for sure. Whoever they are, they have been perfected. That's what it says. 
It says, for by a single offering He has perfected. And I'm going to submit to you that if you're trusting in Christ, you're one of those people. So that's the first thing. The second thing we have to answer is, upon what is this perfection founded? Well, I've hinted at it. It's founded very simply upon the once and for all single sacrifice or offering that the Lord Jesus Christ made for sins. You see that in verse 12, and you see it again in verse 14. Notice it says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, see the once for allness of it? See the singularity of it? Of what? A sacrifice. A sacrifice for what? A sacrifice for sins. And then in verse 14, he speaks of this single work as an offering. He says, for by a single offering. So this perfection that true believers presently possess is grounded upon, it is founded upon, a single, once for all, all-satisfying sacrifice for sins. Now you see it also in verse 10, though we didn't read that in our text. You notice that just before the new paragraph begins in verse 11, it says, And by that will, that is the will of God, God said to His Son, This is my will. I want you to go down to earth. I want you to incarnate yourself. I want you to live as a man. I want you to obey my law perfectly. And I want you to take that perfect life to the cross and die for sinners. And the Apostle says, And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, once for all time. And I think it's worth noting that the word sanctified there is in the past tense. Maybe you see a dilemma. Well, are we sanctified or are we being sanctified? And I'm going to submit to you that both are true but that verse 14, when it says, those who are being sanctified, does not refer to the process of God making us more and more like His Son. But I'll come to that in a moment. Now I'm answering this question. Upon what is this perfection founded? It is founded upon Christ's single, once and for all, perfect offering for sins. That is, it is founded upon His atonement. It is founded upon His satisfying the wrath of God, propitiating the wrath of God. And then I have a third question that I want to quickly ask and answer. Who is it then who already possesses this perfection? Well, look at verse 14. For by a single offering He has perfected for all time. Am I one of those people? I want to know that because I definitely want to be someone who has been perfected. Who are the ones? Those who are being sanctified. Now I have to solve the little dilemma and make something clear that I believe is, is the case. What does the Apostle mean when he speaks of those who are being sanctified? This is for sure. The only people who are perfected are those who are being sanctified. 
Well, I think those who are being sanctified, first of all, I'll tell you, does not mean, as I said, those who are experiencing the ongoing daily progressive work of God's grace in their life, whereby He makes them more and more like His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Progressive sanctification. You know the distinction between initial sanctification, when we first get saved, our lives are radically changed, we're set apart from the world and the life that we used to live to a new kind of life, and then God begins to work in us daily and slowly and patiently and gradually showing us our sin, giving us the grace to repent of it and to work toward becoming more and more Christ-like. That's what we call progressive sanctification. I don't believe that's what the Apostle is talking about when he says those are being sanctified. He simply means those who are being saved, those who are being set apart in God's grace, gracious purposes of redemption. Let me put it like this. If I were uh, working at a conveyor belt um, in a, some kind of a, a farm where they uh, were processing fruit, an orchard, and my duty was to set aside the, the peaches that seem to be without any blemish and perfect because they're going to become they're going to be used for a very special purpose. It it could be said of me, someone could say, what are you going to do with the peaches that are being set aside? I notice you're picking up certain ones as you watch them and you're setting them aside. You're sanctifying them. That's what set sanctified means. Sanctifying is setting something apart you would understand that I'm in the process of setting certain peaches apart from the rest. God is in the process, in His gracious purposes, through the preaching of the Gospel, of setting aside, sanctifying sinners, saving them by His grace. Now, once He sets them aside, it is true that He continues the work of sanctification. But that is not what this text is about. And that's not what the perfection is about. We are not perfect. We are not completely sanctified in that sense. But according to the Apostle, he has perfected, completed the perfection in a certain sense of those who are being set apart. That's the meaning of this text. The Apostle is not talking about a process. He's talking about a position that we have. This is the kind of sanctification that we have in our Savior. You remember the passage in 1 Corinthians 1.30, will not turn there, where we are told that Christ is our wisdom, He is our sanctification. He is our redemption. It is true that a genuine Christian in one sense has been sanctified. Not only have we been set apart from that life of sin, but in Christ we have been sanctified. So, who are these people? They're those of us who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're those of us who have been set apart from our former lives of sin and wickedness. Yes, God is continuing the process of sanctification, but in this case, 
He is setting people apart. We have been set apart and we have been made perfect in Him. And that's what I want to encourage you with tonight, dear people. I want you to realize that if you're trusting in Christ, then you're one of those people who has been sanctified. God is still in the business of sanctifying sinners. And Christians are the people who are being sanctified, or maybe I should say sinners are the ones who are being sanctified so that they become saved. And every such person has been perfected. By what? On what grounds? By the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want to show you just in trying to close and then leave you with a couple of applications is the beautiful contrast in this passage. You know the book of Hebrews is about the superiority of Christ over everything and the superior blessings of new covenant believers to those of the old covenant. And in one sense the word better, better, is a key word to the whole book of Hebrews. Notice the contrast in verses 11 through 14. There are four or five of them. It says, And every priest... Now, every must mean there's more than one. Oh, yes. There were many. There were many always at the same time in the same city, and they had rotations. And there were many over a period of decades. And there were many throughout the entirety of the history of the Old Testament. In fact, I think it's chapter 7 and verse 23 where the priests are referred to as many. And they were many and they, because of death, had to keep replacing themselves. That's one contrast. The many and the one. But when Christ had offered, that's the one. There's a contrast. Many and one. Then did you notice the daily in verse 11 and every priest stands daily but when Christ verse 12 had offered for all time a single sacrifice one sacrifice he didn't do it day after day this was the tedious part of being a priest I'm sure even for the unbeliever, but probably more for the believing priest. And probably there were some priests who were unbelieving. And it, was a, it probably became sort of an irksome task to do the same thing. Don't we all get tired doing the same thing day after day after day? In fact, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 10, it says, For since the law has but a, is but, has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of those realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year. Those are the ones that were offered every year by the high priest. But then when we come to our passage, it's the same sacrifices that are offered every day. And one of the uh, old writers spoke of it like this. He said, the contrast is highly dramatic. On the one hand, the vain zeal, the agitation of these Levitical sacrificers always on their feet, the standing position, that of the ministrant and of action, never at rest, incessantly reproducing the same actions, offering the same victims every day, starting their task over again, serving without effect since sin remains. On the other hand, there is Christ who offered but a single sacrifice of absolute worth so that now He has only to rest 
and to be seated. So even there, you see some of the more contrasts, some of the other contrasts. Many priests, one final priest. Daily, once. Standing and seated. Did you see that contrast even in the text before you heard me read the quote? They're standing. Is Jesus standing? What is Jesus doing right now? What is His posture literally? Jesus is somewhere right now. He is literally somewhere. He has a real body. What is His posture? He is seated. Where is He seated? At the right hand of the Father. We read of that in chapter 1 and verse 3 and chapter 8 and verse 1 and chapter 12 and verse 2. This is a repeated expression of our Savior's present position and posture. He is seated. Why is He seated? Because He's done. He's done with the work of redemption. He isn't done with work. He's very involved with work. He's making intercession for us right now. He's running the world. But with regard to redemption, He's done. He's made the perfect and final sacrifice. One sacrifice. A single sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice. An all-satisfying sacrifice to the Father. A propitiating sacrifice. He's done. And by that sacrifice, dear ones, if you are trusting in Him, by that sacrifice, He has perfected you. In the sense that I have spoken of earlier. It's obvious that the Apostle Paul is speaking of something that has been done. It has been completed. I know that we can't only think about that. I know that we do have to think about the reality of sin in our lives. But I know this as well, that we must also think of what has been completed, what is done, what is perfect. And that's what gives us such comfort and such joy and such strength to press on in the part that isn't done. It's hard to fight against sin. But it's encouraging to know that my standing before God is perfect because of that one final sacrifice. So the contrast is between the many and the one, between the daily and the once, between the standing and the seated, and it's between the ineffective and the perfect. I just want you to see this one more time. Look at verse 11. It says... Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. And here comes the really bad news. It's bad enough that they have to keep doing this over and over and over. But you're willing to do something over and over and over if you think it's really going to do the job. And it says, which can never take away sins. Which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down because he accomplished what he set out to do there's the contrast so dear people we are so privileged tonight to go back to the table and he says remember me in all these things in both of these things do this in remembrance of me and so tonight I call upon you to remember the person and the work and the result the person is our savior the work is the atonement the result is we have been perfected for all time by a single sacrifice. And so, 
We should go to the Lord's table with confidence. We should go with joy. We should go with humility. We should go with love. And once again, we can be amazed with the songwriter to think, My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin. Not in part, but the whole has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this passage of Scripture. It is encouraging for us to be reminded that those of us who have been set aside by Your grace have been perfected for all time. And it is wonderful for us to remember that this perfection which we presently enjoy was obtained for us by our Savior in a single sacrifice which was so satisfying to you that you could tell your son, sit at my right hand and sit there until I make all of your enemies a footstool. We thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us tonight as we go back to the table, aware of our present sinfulness, to also be aware of our present perfection in you. And may we revel in it. And may we so delight in it that we find new strength to fight against the sin that is still in our lives. So help us. Commune with us tonight, Lord Jesus. May we know and feel your presence. And may we, by your grace, fall more deeply in love with you than we've ever been before. We pray in 